systems go uh hello willkommen bienvenue it's time for another army Inquisition episode 315 on january uh, <laughs> january oh, God, i've got janus on my mind on uh, sunday the 4th of february 2024 i'm phil i'm matt and tonight we're very happy to be joined by michael feely how are you doing michael very well thank you uh good evening to you both it, yes, well Good evening to you. We're very happy to be to seeing you. Uh, first things first, michael-feely.com. That's your website, isn't it? Yes, it is. Thank you. Yes, uh, that's pretty much the epicentre of everything. So you can go anywhere from there. But that's that's the best starting point. Do you bother with social media? Try and stay away from it. <clears throat> I use I kind of use Facebook uh, simply because a lot of the a lot of my associates are built up over the years are still on there. So it's it's a means of me kind of communicating with them and, and picking up messages from them. Otherwise, not so much as I used to. Uh, I kind kind of drifted away from the den of viper, you know, the, the keyboard warriors that that criticise people who are doing it but never do it themselves. So I kind of try and avoid try and avoid them because, to be quite frank, I have no time for them. But but the the reason I do stay on there is because there's people who I I do commit to. Uh, who are still on there. Yeah, it's kind of a necessary <clears throat> evil, isn't it? When you're a creative person, you, you're putting something out there, whether that be a you know, a podcast or you're a YouTuber or you're writing books. You have to get the word out somehow, and this is the main tool that we have. So it's 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 kind of you have to sort of get in and get get in and get out. You do, it is kind of using their network yeah. to your advantage. And it it, it is very much a you know, we, we are we are like special forces, really, in in terms of we are constantly operating in in in, in enemy territory. Mm. So you are literally in blast the campsite up, hell and go, uh, and and that's really you know we are always in enemy territory. So it's kind of special forces in in that respect. Yeah, well, anyone going to your website can see some of the books that you've written uh, in recent years and. Uh, you, you definitely fit very well with the kind of um, people we talk to and the, the subjects that we talk about, whether it be the esoterica or paranormal, uh, what did we say before, near-death experiences, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And uh, the thing that always interests me is that if you walk down the street, uh, nine out of ten people, maybe 99 out of 100 people, probably won't be familiar with uh, Rudolf Steiner or Madame Blavatsky or Manly P. Hall or Alistair Crowley. And so it always interests me how people get into this in the first place. What was your introduction to the world of esoterica? Good question, really. I mean, even from a young child, even from the age of seven and eight, I'd always have an open mind. I always felt as if I'd been put on the wrong planet. I always felt like I I never conformed with anything. I never really gelled with schooling. I was always seen as the, should we say, the dunce of the school. And if I read some of my school reports, which I sometimes do, then the teachers are describing someone who's very, very reclusive, very quiet, never interacts, never gets involved, because I just didn't fit in. 
Uh, and I never felt like I ever fitted in. I always felt I was in the wrong place. But my mind had always been open to greater things and I would always have, you know, discussions with people, discussions with my grandfather over, you know, what the Bermuda Triangle may be and, and UFO craft. And, and then again, this was from eight, nine, ten years of age. I used to sit there and watch movies such as The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston when he played the character Moses. Uh, and at the age of seven, I remember sitting there having adult conversations, thinking, is this possible? Did it ever happen? Who is this person, Moses? You know, is there any basis for this truth? So even as a young child, having adult conversations with, with myself, and, and as I kind of went through my teens, I, I became very, very into Greek mythology. And I used to research a lot of Greek mythology. And that was kind of an introduction into research and into a desire to know more, a desire to, to understand. And then I joined a career that I'd always wanted to join, which was the, the police service. And sometimes, you know, I'd, I'd be having discussions on night shift and whatever with, with colleagues about David Icke books. And, and, and you know, you, you wouldn't really expect this, this kind of thing. And even though I hadn't been introduced to David Icke at this stage, you know, I was really, really seemingly on the same level as someone who had, just just knowing the same things that, that they'd read. So it, this had come from somewhere, but it wasn't intentional. It was just there somewhere. So uh, as I was nearing the end of a, a what should have been a 30-year career, but it was year 17, I was having all of these supernatural, paranormal things happening to me, literally on a daily basis. Then... I began to get a little bit more interesting because I was being drip-fed all of this secret knowledge. And I, I would look at symbols, I would look at geometry, and I, I would just instantly know what it meant. And again, that was without any research into it, any any depth of understanding of it, but I just seemed to know what it meant. So I think some people come here wired differently. I think some people come here with different neural pathways because they have a job to do, they have a mission to do. And as such, they have to be not necessarily anatomically different, but in terms of the mind, in terms of the way that they see things, which is the opposite to most other people, you are wired differently because you have a purpose. You have a life's purpose, you have a mission, you have a job to do. And of course, invariably, that job is to illuminate humanity, to remove them from this controlling grip of ignorance that they, I say they, find themselves in. So that's really how I kind of got into it, by being a multiple experiencer, by then finding the answers to what I'd experienced, and that was mathematical and scientific, not mainstream, but nevertheless it was, uh, it was kind of in the field of physics and mathematics. And then I began to have downloads of ancient mysteries about what all of these monoliths and monuments were. And then I began to experience seeing advanced technology that would enter my room and, you know, see through spheres with, with advanced mechanics and advanced technology inside them. I'd go to the likes of San Francisco to do a UFO talk and I'd take some tourist pictures outside of the window and I'd catch UFOs flying past. So it seemed everywhere I was going, <clears throat> I was being followed or I was being allowed to see. So it kind of went from being a multiple experiencer to understanding what I'd experienced and having you know, the scientific and mathematical proof for what I'd experienced, to the answers to many of the world's mysteries, you know, that, that have puzzled mankind for many thousands of years. And now it is really very much 
advanced quantum physics. And I will get many, many quantum equations that are just planted into my head. I will write them down because it's almost like a still picture in my head. And I will write them down onto a piece of paper. And then it disappears from my head because it's now documented elsewhere. And then I'll start making sense as to what the equations are. And some of the equations that I've had recently is how to use Earth as a free energy, how to create portals, uh, how to get through portals. I've actually discovered a portal in inner Earth that goes through the Great Pyramid through the two poles. All, all of these magnificent things about reality, about what reality really is, about what we really are, about what creation really is, and about how the Big Bang of science is really a creation within an already existing creation. So all of these things are literally just dropping into my head. And there'll be times when I'm just sitting here at this desk and I'm writing, making notes, research notes, and then in the same instance, I'm aware that my pen is now a feather and I'm dipping into the ink and I'm writing. I've gone back to medieval times. There'll be other times when I'm sitting at this desk and I go back to Egyptian pyramids and I'm fully aware of being there. I'm fully aware of being in different time zones. I'm fully aware of being having downloads and bringing them back to this time. I'm fully aware that there's visitations from other times coming to my time. And there was such instance a couple of years ago when I was actually in Coventry City Centre. And it was probably about 5pm in the evening. It was summer's evening. Really, really nice blue skies, sunny. And all of a sudden I heard a whoosh kind of sound. Best way of describing it. And then I felt as if I was in some kind of bubble. Although, you know, the streets were the same, the, the buildings were the same. I was in the same place. But I was in kind of a, a bubble. And the next point, I was aware that there was an Egyptian pharaoh walking alongside me. In Coventry? So, yeah. So he basically, this pharaoh had actually come into my time. So time is really an invisible universal force that enables us to have an individual experience because it enables us to go in a specific location within time and space. And that's what time invariably is. And the past, now, and the future is really no different. It's all still going on. In, in the same place, effectively. So this this pharaoh would actually come into my time event. And again, again, there's been instances where I, I personally have been into other time events. So a lot of the information that I'm getting really is, is, is time slips. And, you know, it's being facilitated and I'm bringing information back from the time slips. So when I, you know, answer who is Christ, what is the pyramid, what is Garbekli Tepe, what is Stonehenge, what are all of these money lifts and monuments for well i know because I've, I've been back there and i've been told and then i brought it back here so everything i kind of write about i wouldn't write about it or i wouldn't stand on the stage and speak about it unless i'd had personal experience and that has always been my my threshold for doing anything you know when i when i go and speak at a ufo conference i'm often one of the only few people who's ever seen a ufo but if i hadn't and there's been literally Tons of dozens of them. I've seen I've seen them come through portals in the sky. You know, I've, I've seen them come out of wormholes. They're, I've seen their interdimensional travel. I also have the, the mathematical equations for how they're doing it. But I wouldn't be there standing talking about them had I not have seen them. Had I not have stood next to a, a being out of this world. Had I not have had telepathic communication with them. Had I not have had them come out, out of mirrors at me in lucid dreams. So that was my own individual threshold 
that I will not speak about it unless I personally experience it. So as a result of that threshold, I was that they made sure that I saw it, that I'd experienced it, because then they knew that I would understand it and then teach about it. And then that's really why I'm here, why I was there, and how I'm here. There was this transition of these multiple multiple world experiences that that you would deem as paranormal and supernatural, but but to me, the paranormal soon became normal and the supernatural soon became natural because it was a daily, nightly event for me. Wow. Mm. I was just wondering, um, have you always had these kinds of experiences or did they kind of start at a certain <clears throat> point in your life? I know you said you were very interested in, since you were sort of quite a bright kid, maybe, you know, school, like I said, you said, you didn't feel like you fit in at school and stuff, but... Has it been something you've experienced throughout your life or did it start at a certain point? Certainly, certainly before my, my awakening, which, which I, I can actually specify as being 3.30 a.m. Monday, the 9th of February, 2009. That's how specific I can be in relation to my own awakening. But leading up to that, I was, I was beginning to be drip-fed and introduced to otherworldly things. But I have no memory or knowledge it's not to say that it didn't happen, but I certainly have no memory or knowledge of anything happening up until mm. 2007, 2008, 2009 onwards. It's not to say that it didn't. I just don't recall anything ever happening. And so these experiences, do they happen randomly or do you have any influence? Can you, because I've heard of like CE5 experiences <laughs> where people go out into the desert and try and, try and beckon some experience. Do you have any handle on it or control on it? No, it, I, can, I can control it. I, I can actually take myself to a place before thought, which is really the void, which is nothingness, and I can consciously take myself there. But in terms of the actual time slips, then it's orchestrated and it just happens. It's, it's literally just, it's almost like walking from the living room to the kitchen. It, it just happens. Uh, and even though it may only be a few moments in my time, the other side is considerably longer. And as I say, I do have full knowledge through through full awareness of, of actually being there. So some, some of it is control and some of it is just a slip into another time. And when you come back into the now, if you like, do you come back at the moment you left or is there a gap in sort of our time? Where you For me, there's just a natural passage of time. Right. So, you know, if, if I'm if I'm sitting here now and all of a sudden I look down and, and my pen becomes that inkwell and feather, then I've gone to medieval times and now that it's me writing and documenting in medieval times. But if I was to come back, it, it may only be one or two minutes, but it, it is actually one or two minutes that have passed in my time. Right. And then I will come back at the time that I've left. It's, it, it's not as if I've had, should we say, lost time, like in abductions or anything yes. like that. It, it's, it's really just a, a continuation. Uh, but I do, as I say, I do have full recollection of being somewhere else and then coming back. And it's like, well, I'm back here again now. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you know. Sorry, man. It sounds like your consciousness is the constant in that sense. Now we've, yeah. do you remember yeah. when we talked to Ian Lyons yeah. mm-hmm. and when he had his, when he, his parachute failed and he had this life review that he said lasted for years and years, but yeah. he only lost consciousness for 30 seconds or 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas what you're describing, Michael, it's there's a continuity there as far as time goes because like your consciousness is like the anchor. I, I, I would say, yeah, it, it is a string between everything. I mean, my my awakening when I mentioned a specific time on a specific date, my actual awakening was was a time slip, but in a different way because there had been a story building up to this particular time slip. Now, at 3.30 a.m. on Monday, the 9th of February, 2009, I went back to Victorian times to witness a murder of a teenage girl. And that was my awakening. And the reason that I would, if I had to quantify an awakening, that's how specific it is, because I went back to the scene. And that traumatised me for about six months after because I couldn't actually switch the light off at night and go to sleep because I, every time I closed my eyes, I felt like I was going back to that place. So I didn't want to go back to that place. So so even even my awakening, so to speak, was a time travel. And it wasn't me because I was still physically in just outside Birmingham in bed. But it was almost like a conscious entanglement where, when, I, when my consciousness remote viewed back in time or certainly back, back in time as we understand time. So even though it wasn't my physical body that went, it was my consciousness that went back. And my consciousness saw, heard, felt, witnessed everything that had happened in the year 1850. And then that came back to this time with me. So, so it's almost as if there's a pattern emerging in terms of how I got into this, how I was awakened into this, how it was, how I always described it as an alarm clock that I could never sleep through because it was too traumatic to sleep through. So it had to wake me up. And I think that was predetermined. And did you, when you came back from this first witness, did you do any research into, into what happened and try and find out, you know, who, who the girl was and was it in the papers? I, I, and things? Yeah, yeah. I, I already knew because, uh, Kind of, you know, me, me and intimate family had already had dealings with this girl and, and already spoken to this girl, and she'd already given us her name, and she'd already given us her age, and she she always used to say, "I've been taken uh, by the hands of another," which we always assumed to be she was a, the victim of, of of a murder. It turns out it was actually a manslaughter, and it was a stepfather who used to abuse her, and he would put his hand over her, her mouth and nose to keep her quiet. And on this particular occasion. He accidentally suffocated her. Now, when I went back to the bedroom where this happened, I saw the bedroom, I was in the bedroom, I saw the wooden door opening, I saw the draft from the wooden door moving the curtains, and I heard this girl saying, he's here, and that was when he'd entered the room, her stepfather entered the room. And not only did we have this girl, this victim, who was in our energy field as an earthbound spirit, but we also had her assailant, which we didn't realise until the last moments. And, and, you know, I'd be sitting there on the computer and to the right of me in the house that I was in at the time, we had a six-foot double-glazed window that acted as a door. So it was like a door window, but it was six-foot tall and it was double-glazed. And I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden it would shatter. And it's almost as if somebody had thrown a stone from the alleyway that was alongside the house. And I, I'd run out the house to go see if there's anybody in the alleyway. And then when there was no one there and I got back in the house, I realised that the impact was actually on the inside. So there'd be attempted possessions, there'd be horrible things happening inside the house. And this was the stepfather who was trying to prevent 
the story coming out as he had done originally. <clears throat> so even even my awakening involved going to a different event in time. So again, it, it, it's no it's no great surprise to me that it that it continues to happen now, although in a different way. I was just wondering as well, you know, if, if this kind of happened. This kind of sounds a little bit like out of the blue. You said it was sort of maybe like breadcrumbs, I suppose, of yeah. uh, things leading up to it. But could you make sense of it straight away, you know, what was going on? Because if something like that happened to me, I would think, what the fuck is going on, <laughs> <laughs> basically? Well, well, you know, I'm sure that that, that, that conversation definitely entered my head, but because, <laughs> because there was a history to it and there was a build-up to it, <laughs> I wasn't expecting a conclusion like this, but I was already aware of the story and I was already aware of what had happened. So it was only half. So instead of saying what the, it was <laughs> what the, because I already knew the other boss. Uh, so, yeah, there, there, was, there was a, you know, quite a considerable build-up over many years in terms of the story itself, in terms of the girl being around, in terms of the girl not leaving because she had unfinished business. So it, it was one hell of a shock mm-hmm. because, you know, no, normally if, in, in these circumstances, you know, you, you don't normally, if you are the victim of such, then you're not in this world to, to have these feelings. And if you are a witness, then usually there's some kind of support mechanism available to you. But how do you, how do you get support from, from, any reputable person with that kind of story. I mean, who, who are you going to get to believe? Mm. I, had, I had to go into my police station and go into an office with my inspector and my sergeant and try and explain to them what had happened. Mm. Now, that's considerably difficult. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, you know, the, 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 the one thing that the inspector said is, is you know, my, my wife is into this kind of stuff. I'm not. However... I can see how deep or how deeply it has affected you. So I acknowledge that something has happened, even though it was difficult for them to, you know, cognitively understand exactly what it was. They, they understood that something had happened. But it's difficult to get help when very few people could ever understand. You know, it's, it's not like going to a psychologist and saying, well, I just feel a bit, you know, I feel like I'm hearing voices because they can they can deal with that. It's in their training manual. But how do you say that you've gone back 159 years to the year 1850 and witnessed the murder of a 14-year-old girl? How, how can you go into any reputable psychologist or doctor or, or any professional office and, and actually express this? So it was really something that I had to deal with. It was something that I had to go inside and make sense of and understand. And when I did eventually come out of the other side of it, things were much better. But it was it was at six months of incubation, really, when when I did have those feelings of what the, and who wouldn't? Because I certainly wasn't expecting it. What's all this taught you about the nature of consciousness, Michael? Because there's, I think, there's growing um, evidence and um, what would you say research into the nature of consciousness, and, and more and more people thinking that maybe consciousness isn't local it's not a physical thing it's it's not just sort of a, an accident of brain neurochemistry uh, what, what do you think about it what i can ascertain is that 
there is and was something called a mental singularity. Now, that mental singularity is the universal mind. Now, that universal mind exists in what is known as a dimensionless universe. Now, a dimensionless universe is a universe of light and thought, nothing else. No matter, nothing else. And because this mental singularity, this universal mind, could never conceivably understand itself unless it's experienced itself. And as a result of that, it had an idea. That idea is the neural explosion that is the Big Bang of science. That created the, the dimensional universe, which is the universe of matter that we exist in. So we have two universes in simultaneous existence. You have the dimensionless and the dimensional. Now, when you transit between the dimensional and the dimensionless, or the dimensionless and the dimensional, there's something that every galaxy must have in order to facilitate that transition, and that's called the black hole. So the whole of reality is really the dream state of the universal mind, and it is a nesting dream where there's a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream, and it is vivid because you have senses, you can understand it, you can make sense of it, you can feel it, you can smell it, you can touch it. And that is how this mental singularity, this universal mind, is experiencing itself. Now, when you look at the black holes of space, I have scientific proof that the black holes of space are creating the dreams of the mental singularity. In the same way, on the, on the macro level, our brain has inside it what is known as the hippocampal. Now, the hippocampal is a black hole inside the brain, and it is the hippocampal that facilitates our dreams. So you have the large black holes that are facilitated. It's almost the hippocampal of the universal mind, and we have the hippocampal inside our head that are facilitating our dreams. So I have mathematical proof that reality is a dream. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's kind when, of like... When you, when you understand the dream dreams really do become true because you then begin to control them. Right, so you can go lucid. But we dream within our dreams as well, don't we? Yes, but that's what the, that's what the mental singularity is doing because it's having a nesting dream is really almost a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream, and that's exactly what we do. So what, what you're looking at is, is, is a micro of the macro. What is happening above is happening inside us in the same way as... You know, we are the mini universe, we are the pentagram, because we are the smaller version of the larger. So reality itself is the dream state of the universal mind. So what happens when we leave this this matrix or universal mind dream? What do you think happens? Eventually, the universal mind wakes up and the dream's over. But at that point... Every possibility has been experienced, and we all go back. Now, when, if, if we could see true reality, which we never do, because reality for us is the five senses taking information from universal waves, which are brain waves, and it's passing it onto our brain, and our brain is making sense of the information from these universal waves. So our brain gets this information, and largely from its own memory, hippocampal, hippocampus, it is creating what we believe to be a tangible reality. It's not. If we could actually see true reality, and, and people who I've spoken to have had 
ayahuasca experiences and different things, have actually gone to the true reality, which is really filaments. And what I mean by filaments is grids. It is lines, it is dots, it is vector space. So the air that we breathe are lines, they are grids, they are dots. The brain is filaments. The stars are connected by lines and by dots. The earth is connected by ley lines, which are lines and dots and crossovers. The sky is a grid. Our sun is an electrical fan heater. It is nothing what science tells you. It is an electrothermal device. So it is basically earth is an environment system and the sun is a fan heater. It's almost like a gigantic cannabis farm where you have the plants. And, that, and that's what it is. If so if we could actually see reality, we would just see the geometry of vector space. So if I now, any small notepad, if I, if I give you that notepad, there's nothing on it. But if I draw a dot, that is now the first manifestation. I am here. That is zero dimension, the creation of a zero dimension. Now, if that line walks in any direction, or sorry, that dot walks in any direction, it becomes a line. But because we don't live in an infinite reality, we live in a finite reality, you have to stop the line from continuing. So what you do is you draw another dot. Now, the, the line or the dot thinks I'm going to be clever here, so I'll, I'll just go the other way. So what you do then is you create another dot. So what you then have is the triangle, which is the creation of the second dimension. Yep. So you now have the first dimension, sorry, the zero dimension, the first dimension, and the second dimension as a triangle. Now, when the police try and find someone who's missing, they triangulate their phone. So they're using a, a two-dimensional geometry inside this grid to locate you. Now, if I wanted to create these lines and dots into, in the third dimension, I'd create the pyramid. So the pyramid is the first divine manifestation in the third dimension. Now, if I want to continue to go through the dimensions, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, I'd just add more lines and I'd just add more dots. So that really is reality through geometry. And we are ultimately inside a gigantic network, an electrical network. And if you imagine the bumping cars, the rod that hits the electrical grid, and sometimes there is a bolt, a flash of electricity from that grid. Well, that is your thunderstorms, that is your lightning strikes. And again, I have the mathematical equations for that as well. So we live in, in a dream, but, it, but, it, but true reality is inside vector space, which are lines and dots. Yeah, this is uh, very reminiscent of P.D. Uspensky. Mm. Uh, new model of the universe. He has a chapter all about dimensions, and he, he puts it very similarly with with your, 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 your zero, your dot, your line, your, your 2D shape, and then you can extrapolate further. But the thing is, our brain won't be able to recognize. If there was a fourth, fifth dimension, we wouldn't even be able to see it unless maybe yours is hot-wired, Michael, somehow. You well, can we, see we, some... we, you see, what, what people don't realise is that we are already in the fourth and fifth dimension. Yeah, we're already there. We just can't be, be, see it. Because if, if you imagine my body now, my body is in the dimensional universe, but my mind is in the dimensionless universe. My third eye is in the dimensionless universe, thought and light. So half of me is in the dimensional, and there's a part of me that's in the dimensionless. Now, the dimensionless is the fifth dimension onwards. So if I say to you, I'll meet you 
at Trafalgar Square, 3pm, Friday the 9th of February. Well, those are fourth dimensional coordinates. So we're already living in the fourth and fifth dimension. It, is, it seems to be this, this new age misunderstanding that we are existing in only the third. We're not. We, we, are, we are ourselves multidimensional. Yeah. But we don't necessarily have an awareness of it. Our, our brains are kind of holding us back. Well, mine definitely is. It's always holding me back. But it kind of acts like a filter, doesn't it? It filters out everything that's going on. Like, you know, everything that you touch that you think is solid, it's, it's essentially empty space. But our brain yeah. has to make sense of it in a way that lets us survive and, and reproduce. Yes, because our, our brain is really connected. Our physical brain is connected to the five-sense reality, yeah. the five-sense consciousness. And that is why it creates what we believe to be reality within that very confined structure. So your your smell, your eyes, your taste, your ears, your touch is given the information to the brain, which then creates what it believes to be reality. Yeah. But that is a it is really imprisoned within a five sense reality. Now, when you look or when you realise that there's a beyond the five senses, you, you then begin to go into the dimensionless universe of thought and light. You know, the mathematical behaviour of the dimensional universe is the law of physics. The mathematical behaviour of the, of the dimensionless universe is thought. So you may have a thought, but it may not be yours. So, you know, we, when you look at the Egyptian god Toth, Teotate, well, it's an abbreviation of thought. It is thought I'm going to create because I want to understand myself. I am a self-consciousness but I can't understand what that is unless I create another self-consciousness. There was a, a, a famous New York lecturer uh, called Thomas Nagel, and he once said words to the effect of, you could understand every single workings of the brains of a bat, but you would still not know what it is to be a bat because you have to be a bat to understand what it is to be a bat. Yeah. So when religion tells you that God is eternal, God has not yet been created. However... If you go on their theory, they tell me that God is eternal. But if God is eternal, then God has never experienced death. So therefore, God is not complete. There is something missing. But only when the universe has reached its maximum potential will it become actualized, will God be created. So God doesn't create the universe. The universe creates God. In the same way as when we have ex expanded to our maximum, we become godlike. We become a community of gods on earth because the word God simply means balance. So when we are fully balanced inside, we are walking gods. Now, you will notice that our society does everything it can to reverse the evolutionary process. Instead of allowing humanity to expand and evolve, it contracts. It makes you feel small. It makes you feel irrelevant, insignificant. And that is the opposite of where we should be going. So humanity is just dependent upon God as God is upon humanity because God can only be created when everything has evolved to its maximum potential. And that is the universal law. And I have the mathematics for that too. You mentioned about the universe creating God. Over the last uh, year or so, there's been all this hubbub about artificial intelligence and uh, Terminator yes. 2, Judgment Day is coming and all the rest of it. What, what's your views on, on AI? <clears throat> Do you think it's a threat? <laughs> My, my view, when you look at the law of evolution, 
the universal law of evolution. It states that more simpler forms will and must be replaced by more complex forms. It is my view that AI is a way of replacing simpler forms. I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> so going, basically, we are, if you, if you imagine the universe is walking through the street with a long coat and humanity is stamped on the back of the, of the coattails and it's creating this resistance so the universe can't expand. It can never create God. It can never become actualized because there's aspects of the universe that are preventing it from evolving. And that is what humanity is doing. And that cannot be allowed to continue. So the law of evolution states simpler forms will be replaced by more complex forms. And, and I think that AI is part of that replacement. Now, it can go as far as we allow it to go. We can either get it and stop it, or we can just go blindly into the abattoir and let it happen. But nevertheless, it will be a more complex form than how... I'm not saying that, that the human body, the human mind isn't a complex form. I'm just saying the way in which it's acting, the way in which it's conducting itself, the way in which it's preventing everything from evolving to its maximum state which is the law of evolution, it cannot be allowed to continue to do that. And that, that, that's my view or, or part of my answer as to what AI is. It is part of the law of evolution where simpler forms will be replaced by more complex forms. Okay, fair enough. Um, we noticed uh, before we start recording, there's a lot of pictures of Da Vinci works behind you. Um, what's the um, appeal? Why are you so interested in Leonardo, Michael? When you the, the, there's there's a number of, when, when you start getting into the esoteric, when you start getting into hidden secrets, hidden hidden messages, there are certain characters in history you will inevitably come across. You will inevitably come across the Kabbalah. You will inevitably come across Egyptian Gnosticism. You'll inevitably come across Manly P. Hall and, and different Plan, people. And that's how it began for me in relation to Leonardo da Vinci. In probably the last six or seven months, I realised that my connection to him is, is actually a personal one. Because in medieval times, I was his personal scribe. And all of his inventions, all of his esoteric knowledge... You know, he's known for being a painter, but really his first love was science and maths. He's the one who's given me the mathematical equations. He's the one who's facilitating my time slips <clears throat> because he, he, I'm going back to his time to bring back information. And that is why I go back to medieval times. And the reason I go back to Egyptian temples is not only is my bloodline from Egyptian pharaohs, <clears throat> but I spent a lot of time as Leonardo's personal scribe inside the Great Pyramid. <clears throat> so all the places that I'm going to, all the information that I'm bringing back is facilitated by him. What was Giza like back in the, <clears throat> middle, uh, back in the middle Ages? Is it just as we see it today or is it in better condition or what? I, I remember just being inside the temple. So in terms of what it looks like on the outside, you know, oh. I'm sure there wasn't McDonald's and KFCs <laughs> next to the Great Pyramid. So my my memory or my time slip is taking me inside 
so I don't know what it's like on the outside. But in, but in terms of, of, of the Great Pyramid, I know exactly what it is. And this, the, we, we spent, as I say, a lot of time in there working it out. And if, if for anybody who's ever read Leonardo's notes, you will, you will find that there is a subtle change at some point of his notes when it's clearly him, but somehow there's, there's a change. And that's when I came to the scene because I took over being a scribe. So all of these paintings were why I just had this urge that I needed to get Leonardo paintings and I didn't necessarily know why. But it turns out that he needed his energy to be able to connect and his energy is in all of his paintings and that is why I have there. So so my connection to him, I was Sal, S-A-L, Salai, S-A-L-A-I, and I was his personal scribe for 25 years. And that is my connection. Wow. How long was Leonardo uh, in Egypt studying the pyramids? <clears throat> I can't remember how long we were in there, but we were there for a considerable while inside the Great Pyramid. Right. <clears throat> and there's, there's things that we we documented. There's actually... Leonardo's actually... It's not been discovered yet, but Leonardo was actually painted on the walls of the Great Pyramid <clears throat> on the inside. <clears throat> so... We, we were aware of all of the inner secret rooms below the Grand Gallery in different places, and, and we basically we worked out its secret. Uh, and now I'm kind of looking back at that, and he's feeding me information from those times, and I'm writing down the information that we worked out there. Are you allowed to say what the secret <clears throat> is, or is it going to be in your next book? Well... <laughs> It's it, it is in the next book. Oh. Uh, it's not that I'm I'm not allowed to say, uh, but I'm, I'm you know quite happy to answer what I can. Uh, so whatever question you have, I'll try and answer. Well, um, let's see. What's a popular one? Was it a power plant? Was the the, the pyramid generating energy somehow? Yes. Bingo. The the stones in the base of the Great Pyramid were basically conductive batteries. The Great Pyramid, it's many things, but but the Great Pyramid is an antenna that uses corrected pi. So the likes of NASA uh, and, and modern-day maths is using pi at 3.141. And NASA are finding that this equation for pi is a little bit, a fraction too short. They're finding that their spacecraft coils are a little bit too short. Their trajectory is a little bit off. When we project mobile phone signals or signals, there is a 0.22 second delay because we're using incorrect pi. So the Great Pyramid is an antenna using corrected pi. It is, as I say, many things. It, it, it is really a gigantic mind. It is certain a certain biblical character. So when you think of the return of the Redeemer, that's the Great Pyramid reactivation. So the biblical Christ is not a person, it's the Great Pyramid. Wow. This is pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> and mathematically, the Great Pyramid is the tomb above Christ and Mary Magdalene, mathematically. And I have proof. 
how do you mean mathematically? I don't understand that. The, the mathematically, two... if, if you think of the numerical value, which is called Remedia, the numerical value of Mary Magdalene is 153. Right. Now, the entrance level of the Great Pyramid is on the 17th course level. If you add up all the numbers from 1 to 17, you get 153. When you go inside the Grand Gallery, it has 153 steps. It is 153 feet long. When Christ caught the fish with the apostles, they were on exactly 153. Now, when you look at the height of the Great Pyramid, which is 481 feet, and you do what is known as digital summation, which is separating the numbers, you get 4 plus 8 plus 1, which is 13. Now, if you go 481 divided by 13, it gives you the number 37, which is the numerical value of the word Christ. When you look at Leonardo's painting, The Last Supper, behind me, it's actually set in the King's Chamber. And where you see that box that covers the, the legs of Christ, but you can see the legs of all the other disciples, that box is the sarcophagus. Wow. On the back wall behind him, which is actually in the Great Pyramid King's Chamber as well, you have the Eye of Horus on the wall. Oh, wow, I need to Google the Last Supper and just get my magnifying glass out now. So, so basically, the, the Last Supper is not, again, putting it all together, it, it's what's not on there that, that is, is the answer to what it is. Just quickly on the Last Supper, there's a famous uh, figure to the left of G or on Jesus' right who's often said to be John the Evangelist or some people say Mary Magdalene. Do you know who it is? Yes. I, I, I do know who it is. If you look at mystic manuscripts, often two people are encoded under one name. So when you look at the the beloved disciple... Christ's favourite disciple, who people say was John. Well, John is code for Lazarus and Mary Magdalene. So it's actually two people. But depending upon their position, tells you which one of the two it is. So because it's leaning away from Christ, it's Lazarus, which is really Osiris, the Egyptian god. If it it had been leaning towards Christ, it would have been Mary Magdalene, who was the brother of Lazarus, it was the brother, sorry, it was the sister of Osiris. It was Isis. So the beloved disciple John, John means Gnostic, to know. So two people are hidden under one name. So it is both Lazarus and Mary Magdalene. But depending upon what position they are sitting, tells you which one of the two it is. On this particular case, it is Lazarus, which means Osiris. Osiris means open eye, your Christ consciousness. So that is Osiris. And so do you think, because you've got Osiris and and Isis represented in that one character, does that mean that Jesus is representing Horus in that painting? Jesus is representing the Great Pyramid. Right. Because that's who Jesus is. And oh. when you say the return of the Redeemer, I've actually narrowed it down to a 26-year period when Christ returns. It is any time between 2024 and 2050. So in the next 26 years, Christ will return. The pyramid will be reactivated and darkness and ignorance will be gone. So it could be tomorrow. It could be 25 years and 364 days time. But in the next 26 years, things will change. 
Wow. and the redeemable return. Now, when you start looking at the Priory of Sion, which did exist, when you start looking at the Rosicrucians, when you look at the Knights Templars, when you look at the Mary Alvingians, they were anti-Jesus Johannites. So in other words, they actually saw John the Baptist as being the true Messiah. Right. John the Baptist, who was beheaded, is the solar sun. Now, the solar sun at 12 noon rises above Orion. That is the, re the return, the replacement of the head of John the Baptist, which is Orion. And the reason that it is Orion is because that's Osiris in the skies. So Osiris is John the Baptist. And when you see, remember John, the finger that would have baptised Christ, John the Baptist. Yeah, and there's a, there's lots of Renaissance paintings with this finger, this pointing finger. I think there's one in yeah. The Last Supper as well, isn't there? Well, there's, there's two behind me. Yeah. You see, what, what, what you have is, is biblically, you have King David, which is the hand. Right. You have Jerusalem, which is to point the way to completion, which is pointing upwards. Now, you have the word Sion or Zion, which comes from the word Sion, which means to point the way. So you have all of these references, biblically and through Leonardo and other places, pointing upwards, which is to point the way, point the way to completion. It is really the ascension back to the cosmos. And again, it would have been the finger, had it really have happened, that John the Baptist baptised Christ with. So it is really a symbol to remember John, John the Baptist, the Johannites. You mentioned about the pyramid being reactivated. This is the big event. Is this going to be like a physical thing, a spiritual thing? Is it going to be some sort of raising of collective consciousness? Do you know how it's going to <clears throat> unfold? It already exists in multiple dimensions. In, in our dimension, in our timeline, these monoliths and monuments are static. They don't move. But in other timelines, in other dimensions, they move. So we, we only see it as a static because that's where we are. That, that's, that's where we are in our reality. How will it happen? Humanity is going to go through what, what is written inside the pyramid, which is a seventh civilization. And that began in our year 2001, the year of which is specifically mentioned in the Great Pyramid. What you have in the Great Pyramid is... When scientists, modern-day scientists, go inside the Great Pyramid and they see lots and lots of cavities behind the walls and they can see that there's some kind of gap, some kind of cavity. Yeah. But they're blocked by walls. They're not walls, they're doors. And if you know the correct word and you say it in the correct frequency at the correct time, and the time has to involve the number seven and only the number seven, the doors slide open. And when the doors slide open, each of these rooms contain the history of mankind and lots of artefact, not of this world. So this is the cavities that they are seeing. They're actually rooms that they look like they're blocked. They're not. It's the doorway that's closed. You can only open it by certain means. So what is, what is likely to happen is that things will be reactivated, and that can take on several different forms. You, can, you know, the, the seven civilization are really called the flame bearers. And the flame bearers are the ones who will take knowledge. We are currently in the sixth civilization, which is Adamic, 
the Adam and Eve, the Adamic civilization, the sixth civilization. Right. Now, the Bible says that there will be 6,000 years before change. Well, that relates to the six civilizations. Now, when you get the numerical value of Mary Magdalene and you add it to the numerical value of Christ, you get 190. And in Hebrew, 190 relates to redemption, the end. So mathematically and biblically and through the Torah, it is telling us that the six the 6,000 years is nearly up. And in the next 26 years, it will be. And there will be a seven civilization who are the flame bearers, the keepers of knowledge. Now, they are symbolized by the Olympic flame, the undistinguishable fire, or the flame of liberty. Wow. Because that really is the only thing that is keeping a connection between humanity and the higher cosmos. Without that slender thread of connection of knowledge, of ancient knowledge, we would have been eradicated a long, long time ago. But there is that slender thread that is keeping us connected, giving us a chance. And they are the knowledge keepers, the seven civilization. So, so ironic that they're called the flame bearers because the root of pyramid is fire, fire something, I forget now. Yeah, fire, fire. Yeah, I mean, there's so many references to fire. You know, you've got the modern day, you know, so-called elites who, who, in their teachings, they were given the fire of the gods by Prometheus. So you have the fire. You know, you have Prometheus, which means knowledge. You have Epimetheus, your brother, which means distance from knowledge. So you have Prometheus and Epimetheus, and there, Prometheus. You know, fire is really illumination you know when moses which is really an initiate gets to mount sinai which means teeth he, he come he, he comes to, to the burning bush the fornix of the brain the illumination of the mind and he gets there through the parting of the red sea which in mystical terms is the path of least resistance called the open sea so the exodus is not a physical thing it is an anatomical thing you are going from captivity which is the lower chakra known as egypt and you are taking the path of least resistance to the land promised, the promised land. And that's through the open sea, the path of least resistance. So Moses, which means initiate, is taking you through the levels of initiation in order through the chakras to get to the promised land. When you look at, can a camel walk through the eye of a needle? Yes, it can. Because what it is describing are the 16 stages of initiation of the Essenes, who are a Jewish mystical cult because their first degree of entry is the third, which is, in, in the Hebrew alphabet, is Gimel, which is a camel, and their 19th degree is Quath, which is a needle. So a camel goes through the eye of a needle because you go from the third entry to the 19th entry of initiation. And that is how a camel goes through the eye of a needle. It's talking about the initiation of the Essenes. So all of these things are sacred knowledges that our religions have turned into a story. But people are believing the story has historical fact and truth, when really it is a way to convey secret knowledge to initiates. And unless you have the same eyes and the same ears and you are the, you are the victim of the same passion as them, if you read the Bible as a book, you will never, ever understand it. If you take... The Torah, for example, and I mentioned the Torah because our Bible is really 
a division of the Hebrew scriptures, but all of the Hebrew knowledge and Greek knowledge and, and Kabbalah knowledge came from Egypt. So Egypt is the true Bible. But if you take the Torah, which is the five books of Moses that go from Genesis to Deuteronomy, if I was to go into any town or city in this world and pass them a Bible and say, read this, I guarantee they would read it as a book from left to right, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And yet the Hebrew rabbis, the Egyptian mystics, all of these people always read and wrote from right to left. So you should be going from Deuteronomy to Genesis. You should be going the other way because you are then taking yourself back to your spiritual center by going from right to left. Whereas we are going from left to right and we're taking ourselves away from our spiritual center. You know, we are writing in black ink, which is the dead letter. So we need to read it from right to left. So Deuteronomy becomes Genesis and Genesis becomes Deuteronomy. So Genesis is the end, not the beginning. We, we, we're reading it wrong and you, and you have these seven levels. That's why in the Great Pyramid you can only enter these secret rooms when you use seven or a number that's divisible by seven because there are seven levels of knowledge. And the number seven is the key to the third dimension. Tell me about the seven levels of knowledge. What are, the, what are these broken up into? The, the seven, basically, you have from the first level, which is what, if, if you go to any church now, the first level is what you are taught. So you are taught that, you know, Noah was a 120-year-old man that built this wooden ark for every single animal, insect, bird of the world. That is level one. Then you get to level seven, which is what I'm discussing this evening, that that is really the deepest level of mystical teachings. Right, so the seven levels are... So so you basically, you know, um, when people have said to me, you know, I I went to a lecture last night or or I saw a radio show and, and, and the person who's been interviewed is absolutely convinced that they're right. So what do you have to say about that? And I say, they are right, but they are right at level three or four. They're not fully right because level seven is fully right. So it's not that they're wrong, it's just that they're not completely right. Got you. It's just like saying, you know, what is the Holy Grail? And a lot of people are saying, it's the womb. Well, it is at level two and three, but it's not. So they're not wrong, but they're not completely right. Yeah, multiple levels of meaning. This is something you find when yeah. you, when you start deep in, uh, delving into these subjects that they, it just goes on and on and on. And something as simple as a symbol like an ankh can have several, multiple meanings in different contexts and in to different people. It's like it kind of boggles the mind, but. Well, the, the, the ankh at the seven level of teaching is really a, a polarised energy system. It's a, it's a mobile arc of the covenant. And you notice on a lot of Egyptian pictures, the ankh is put towards the nostrils mm. because the nostrils are a gateway to the mind. And you have the polarised energy. So the top of the ankh will have one energy and the bottom of the ankh will have a, a, an alternative polarised energy. And it's going into the pituitary and the pineal gland and awakening it. So the, the ankh is really a walking arc of the covenant. It's a mobile machine a polarised machine of energy that awakens the mind. Whereas if you ask an Egyptologist what an ankh is, you get the level one answer, which is it, yeah. it's, it's a sandal, just what yeah. they used to put on their feet. Yeah. <laughs> but again, at level one, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, but but you can, either, you can either stay at level one and, and keep yourself at level one and you can believe 
level one. Yeah. Where you can take it upon yourself to actually dig. And that's that's why it's really an archaeological knowledge, not not in the sense of you now there's Zawi Awash with his little troll. It, it, it's an archaeological knowledge because you have to dig to find it. Wow. Now, inside the emerald tablets, I found a mathematical code. And it was relating to 528 hertz, which is really the, the colour of nature, green. And all I did is, is I took it upon myself to separate the numbers and divide them by themselves. And it gave me 0.3125, which basically then could be expressed as 1 over 4 or 1 over 16. Now, when I looked at Egyptian eye fractions, the eye of Horus, 1 over 4 is the eye and 1 over 16 is the ear. So in other words, it is saying that those are the eyes that can see and the ears that can hear will come into this knowledge. And I, and I deciphered it. So you have to you have to make an effort. You know, there's no point sitting in your room visualising winning the, winning the lottery because you have to get up and you have to go out and buy a ticket. So you, you have to take action in relation to self-knowledge to finding these things out for yourself. And I would always say ne- never, never accept the conclusions of gurus, feel the answer for yourself experience the answer for yourself excellent well Mm -hmm. i think that's a brilliant note to end on to be honest we've just gone over an hour now uh when's the the new book going to be out michael it's called the movement illumination of the world and i'm hoping that it will be kind of easter easter time uh at at the moment it's somewhere like heading for 950 pages and Nine hundred ninety-five thousand words, and, and every word, every line, has secret knowledge. So it is really the answer to everything. Wow, well that's exciting. Let's not tell Comatan. Oh well, this has been fantastic, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. Mm. This has been—it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm, we've had lots of people uh, in the chat commenting, lots of uh, good feedback. So yeah. Yeah, this has been fantastic. Um, check out the links in the show notes, guys, and uh, you can pick up Michael's books and whatnot at the website. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could stay on the line for us just for one minute, Michael, while we uh, play ourselves out. You lot listening, we'll be back in 10, 15 minutes to do some news. Okay. Right. right, stand by. Thank you. Trust this, not how we start, you know. And we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the pancreatic islets of Langerhan. And that was Michael Feely in the first half. That was wild, weren't it? It was a wild time slip situation, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bad stuff. We didn't even talk about aliens, man. No. Um, we'll have to come get him back to talk about aliens. The pyramid is a deadly generator. Sun is a deadly laser. Yeah. I can't get my shoes on. The pyramid's a deadly generator. That's it, yeah. That's what the, those muon, muon uh, scans were detecting. That empty chamber. Yeah, the, the, the chambers, it. all the secret chambers. With all of mankind's lost wisdom. So, do you know, like, when those chamber doors finally open, will it be like an episode of Star Trek? I would say Stargate. Some Gwauld's going to come strutting in. What a little tiny worm that's possessed. That, that's the Gwauld, yeah. yeah. Symbiote, yeah. yeah. It's going to come in and say, hey, you're, like, you're doing it all wrong. I know, yeah. 
Do you not know what this thing is? Uh, it operates in sevens. Have you heard about them rebuilding the uh, Menkauri's pyramid? Talking about putting old casing stones back on it. No, I have not heard of this. <sighs> yeah. Well, it's in news this week. For japes? Shits and giggles, yeah. Right. They're going to, what, they want to find old casing stones and put it back together again. What are they going to, and how are they going to find those? I think a lot of them are probably just, you know, lying around, lying around Cairo. Next to the pyramid? Yeah. Right, okay. It was granite. It was cased in granite, that one. Are we, are we empty chairing bed tonight? Oh, well, we only found out like 10 minutes before we started. Yeah, I know. I just noticed it now. Yeah, I'll let me... Uh, Should we just empty chair him? No, we won't do that. Well, why waste precious screen real estate? No, when you could See be little, looking at us a little bit more. Look at this. Bit alive. Hey, GB News has got nothing on us. No? <laughs> yeah. Look at these live, live edits on the fly. I've made myself too big now, haven't I? Oh, how's that? I, I do think of... we need to get some foundation in the uh, in the studio. My forehead. What, for you? You're a bit shiny. Forehead seems to be very greasy. Oh, yeah. I think you have a greasy T-zone, um, as they say in the industry. <coughs> exactly. Right. Right, should we do some news? What should we do, some, what should we do first? Is it really not do news? Headlines. Headlines. Check out the links in the show notes and uh, buy some of Michael's books. It sounds really good. Oh, yeah, do that as well. Capital letters, a big news story. Headlines of the week. What's first up? Head teacher sacked for stealing £2.66 worth of coffee. About time to... Just the tip of the iceberg. Just imagine. Mm. You've worked out that nobody in the local shop notices if you fill your regular size cup of coffee with the amount that would normally go in a large. You decide to take advantage, but not go overboard about it. Just once a month for seven months. <laughs> the equivalent of 38p each time. It's a little bit cheeky, yes, but what's the worst that could happen? The head teacher of one junior high school in Japan found out. Oh. According to the Yomiuri news site, the principal of Takasago Municipal Shoyo Junior High School in the city of Takasago. Can you do it in the voice of a trade envoy? Maybe. Uh, 30 miles west of Kobe was referred to the local police uh, last December. December last year. <laughs> He'd been reported on suspicion of theft after he allegedly poured a large coffee worth 180 yen 97p, into a cup that was meant for a regular coffee worth 110 yen, 59p. Scenes. Eventually, the local branch of the Kobe District Public Prosecutor's Office decided they wouldn't prosecute. But the teacher's pain was not over. Yesterday, the Hyogo Prefectural Board of Education hauled him over the coals for his self-serve coffee machine antics before handing him a disciplinary dismissal. <sighs> He's not a fit and proper person. No. Bringing the school into disrepute. Yeah. A bad egg. A coffee thief. He is. He's just... He can't get enough. He's a bean stealer. He's a burn, bean burner. Bean burner. He burned his own beans and his bridges. He did. And his britches. Mm. 
he admitted to pouring more than he'd paid for on seven separate occasions between June and December 2023. In front of the board, he explained, I uh, put it in by a mistake the first time, but the staff didn't tell me so. I did it because I could get the drinks at a cheaper price. And who? He went to prison. (laughs) He went to prison? Yeah. It's not, he just got sacked. No, you are. Go to prison. That was a good Trade Federation accent. Okay. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. 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 So, what a shitter. That's yeah. it. Career over. Yeah, game over, man. <laughs> game over. <laughs> ah. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Yeah, what a shitter. Never mind. Anyway, let's uh, see. Maybe the next story is uh, is happier. What's the next headline? Oh, pigeon suspected of being Chinese spy released by police in India after being detained for eight months. Guantanamo pigeon. Without charge. That's Surely that's contravenes the Geneva Convention, holding a pigeon without trial for eight months. Yeah, it should have been round up and shot, really. <laughs> oh, my God! How dare you? I know, yeah. How very dare you? You're not a... Obviously not a bird lover. I think you should treat pigeons that way. Not if it's a Chinese spy. <laughs> Are you retarded? A pigeon accused of being a Chinese spy has been cleared by police and released back into the wild. Is that after extensive questioning? Um, waterboarding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the bird was detained by officers after it was captured in May last year near a port in Mumbai. News agency Press Trust of India reported it was found with two rings tied to its legs, oh, featuring yeah. words that appeared to be Chinese. Appeared so, to be. Well, that's reasonable suspicion, grounds for a detainment, no? Right, so, using that logic, mm. did you ever... Now, I, I, I don't know if this is a dream, but I'm pretty sure... Is it a dream within a dream? It may be. It's something from the black hole or something. The, um, the hippocampal. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, like a cocktail umbrella? Yes, I'm the, familiar with cocktail umbrellas. That's on a cocktail stick. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As a child, I can remember the, the, the chalky nub on top of said umbrella... Mm picking it apart and inside it was some rolled up paper with oriental you're not even allowed to say that anymore i'm going to say it the emerald tablet of enoch but with just characters on it with the hebraic characters no they were like uh, you know chinese or japanese or korean was it written by john d was it signed 007 maybe don't know there were chinese characters and chinese characters rolled up on in the piece of paper at the top you picked it apart. How old were you? Seven. Were you working for the Chinese Communist Party when you were seven? Possibly. Um, I do remember being recruited when I was six. Unbesmegging leaveable. I don't believe you. The only other people have uh, ever unraveled a cocktail, uh, the, the cocktail umbrella. You did preface this anecdote by saying you might have dreamt it. Yeah, I was just wondering, you know. Has anybody else picked apart a cocktail umbrella and found the Chinese writings in it? Do those cocktail umbrellas with a spiky end that you would you would you could pick an olive <laughs> if you're after? What, what if you're so inclined you could? Yeah. You know, at the bar. 
Yeah. Olive with the cocktails umbrella. Mm. What 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 fruit is in a margarita? Margarita. Yeah. Is it grapes? The grapes and margarita. A is cherries. It lime. No, yeah, a maybe. margarita. Yeah. Is that not the icy one or something? I don't know. I don't drink. Is margarita. it lime? I don't do cocktails. No. Do they even exist? Them spiky cocktail umbrellas these days. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Do they? And if they do, do they all have? Are they all part of like Chinese state spacecraft? Well, this is what I'm beginning to wonder now. My worldview. This is like levels three knowledge. See, Hogdan says you're not selling it, Matt. No, you're not selling this. Right. Okay. Uh, we, I think we think you're uh, full of shit. This right. is a dream. You've dreamt up. Is it really? We need proof. You need to go out there and and let us know in the element server. Yeah. Give us some photographic advice. Find a cocktail. Find an old working men's club that's somewhere behind the bar has some 30-year-old cocktail umbrellas. 40-year-old, nearly. Yeah. I think that's probably your best bet. Yeah, head to the British Legion. Your look might be in. Yeah. Um, that's the pigeon. Okay. After that decent... Because we didn't finish this, did we? Uh, yeah, two two rings um, tied two rings tied to its legs, featuring uh, Chinese writing. What's up? Helen remembers the rolled up paper. Bit of rolled up paper, like a blooming fortune cookie, in your cocktail umbrella. No, because it was a Chinese spy mm. cocktail umbrella. Okay, there you go. Well, okay, I stand corrected, like the man in orthopedic shoes. Thank you. Detectives suspected the pigeon was involved in espionage and took it in before later sending it to Mumbai's Bai Sakarbai Dinshaw Petit Hospital for Animals. What was that hospital again? Bai Sakarbai Dinshaw Petit Hospital for Animals. However, after eight months in captivity, it emerged that the creature was an open-water racing bird from Taiwan. Oh. Which had escaped and flown to India. Yeah, you don't want to get Taiwan and China mixed up, do you? Oh, no. No, that would be a bad idea. Yeah, because they're the same country, right? <laughs> you have to say, you know, in, in diplomatic circles, you can't recognise Taiwan as an independent country. I thought you know? it was. Yeah, I thought but that you was the issue. You haven't to pick, piss off the Chinese, Chinese. The Chinese peoples. No. Do you remember a board game called Mysteries of Old Peking? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I used to love it. What, what's Peking? Which, which... Peking is the old name for... Bangkok? No, in China. <laughs> Shanghai. Shanghai, that's it. Somewhere for Shanghai, I think, Peking. Yeah, I think so. And uh, it was like a board game. It was like a, a murder mystery. Who done right, it? Right, okay. Mysteries okay. of Old Peking. Mm. It's probably incredibly on PC. I'm going to have to try and find it on eBay. Yeah, we'll fun. play it. Unless my mum kept it, because she knew how much uh, I it, loved that it, game. That, that will be in the loft, I imagine, for you. Sure. Shut up. Farage. Can't wait till they die. I get to get it. Get my inheritance. Do you know what I found in... This is what you've left me. What's it called? Oh, I can't, I can't remember what it's called. The board game that you played a video you, uh, with a video cassette. That's in my... Um, I was in my mum's attic. Atmosphere. Atmosphere, yes. That guy, the creepy... Uh... And, he's, and he was rotting towards the end. <coughs> yeah, he aged. He was like the emperor, weren't he? He was like mm. old Palpy when he fights Mace Windu. <laughs> Mace Windu. Yes, he is, isn't he? Yeah. 
mm-hmm. young Skywalker. It was between the Not a Jedi yet. Uh, the original. Power! Oh God! The original and unlimited power. <laughs> See, I could have done that role, man. I've, I should be an actor. Uh, yeah, my range is like minuscule. <laughs> I could do Trade Federation. I could do most of Star Wars. I could have just done... They did an animated version of the Star Wars prequels. They just needed me to do all voiceovers. There is... What's it called? It's quite popular. The, the Bad Batch or something. Oh, I don't watch any of that nonsense. Rebels. Rebel... Rebel scum. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, Bad Batch. Yeah, I don't watch any... Star, Disney Star Wars is lame. I, don't I think it was of. pre-Disney... Oh gosh, I just remembered on that. Gosh. On that, yeah. Um, Carl Weathers has died. Oh yes, yes. From the Mandalorian, from famously fucking Dylan. Apollo. Apollo Dylan, Christ. you son of a bitch! What's the matter? CIA got you pushing too many pencils. <laughs> la, 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 la. Oh man! I know, yeah. Dylan, Carl Weathers. Mm. Happy Gilmore. He was in Happy Gilmore, weren't he? Happy Gilmore. It's Apollo Creed. Hollow Creed. Yeah. Um, and that's it. <laughs> 76. 76 he was. He passed away, unfortunately. Ah. That's sad news. I liked him. Yeah, it's going to rip a hole out of the Mandalorian TV show, that, isn't it? He was like the sheriff or whatever. No one watches it. No one watches it. No one cares. Star yeah. Wars is dead. It's dead. He died a long time ago. Sad face. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Should we move on? On that bombshell... Yeah, yeah. What's on next? Let's see what's going on next. First on BBC One. Right after the break, we're going to interview Eric Weihenmayer, who climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. But he's gay. I mean, he's gay. Excuse me. He's blind. (laughs) Housekeeping. Oops. Housekeeping. (laughs) This is a value for value podcast. Do you find this podcast valuable? Please consider returns of value. There's a, a myriad of ways of returning value to us. My favourite way I've ever is word of mouth. We're either telling people physically, vocally, from your oral gape to the ear canals and shout at people. Your hippocampals. One hippocampal to another. Gouge mm. their eyes out. Mm. Um, or if you're online, because most people are online, I believe these days. Maybe you're in. <laughs> maybe you're in uh, what Discord servers? Oh shit! That's the R word. Gouge's eyes! <laughs> quick, pull that up quick. So no one sees it. Don't... No spoilers. No spoilers. Um, yeah, element servers, Facebook groups, Telegram channels. Hey, when we go live, put the bat signal out. Share the links, and uh, you know, get people um, participating live. It's a good, good thing. Spread the love, get more people watching and uh, help us become more sustainable. Mm. How else can you become a producer, help us produce this shit show, Matt? I don't know. Leave us a voicemail. That's a new thing. I mean, well, there is a number you can ring, but I wouldn't recommend it because it, you know, a voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail. Look down in the show notes, folks, and there's a number there. Say so You can leave us a voicemail. And then uh, when the next um, hotline episode comes up, which is next Sunday, 
appropriately. Oh, the Amish um, hotline, yes. I can, we can, well, we don't have to play them if you don't want it played, but we can play your voicemail messages no, we on can, the air. We can get Ben to transcribe them and then Phil can read them out in a trade federation. Uh, I'll do any accent. voice you want. If you want your voicemail reading out in a particular voice, just let me know or yep. we can play them, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're on YouTube, like people have been doing already, you, you need to sub, comment, like, tickle the bell, as they like to say, Can I think. Tickle, melee the bell. Melee. Smash the shit out of it. Melee the bell. Um, leave us a review, and if we find it, we'll read it out for you. So, if you, you know, making sure that we find it, you could email it to us at thearmishinquisition at gmail.com. Similarly, you can sign up for the newsletter by emailing theamishinquisition at gmail.com and put it into the title of the email newsletter. Yeah, the sign-up link is broke in the show notes on the website, but it drops an email with newsletter in the subject line. I'll add you to that list. The rum springer goes out the first of every month. We've just dropped one. Just dropped a, a few huge, days ago. you curled one out, didn't you? I crimped one off. Yeah, it was a curl. It was more of a curl, that one. Um, it's a good newsletter, I, yeah, thought. I thought you had a solid book review in there. It's a good book review, I think. Thousand words, near enough. Yeah, it was nice. The June review. Yeah. The... Say what, better writer than Ara Madawi from The Guardian. Fuck me. I get her newsletter every week, just for a laugh. There's always at least two mistakes in it. Is there? Yeah. Wow. It's like I put a deliberate one in every week. I think, do you not read, do you not read your shit before you post it? No. Honestly, they must get paid peanuts. Still more than me, like, but they must get paid peanuts if they don't have time to just read article before they post it just don't care do they no pride <coughs> no no pride in the work no checking of uh sources not double checking mm. um what else do we can you do you oh yes uh so in the newsletter you get a uh heads up for the month ahead of the guests so that's good isn't it if you want to know that keep abreast of what's going on yeah and, and if you know in advance you can also Come up with some artwork. You could come up with some artwork. Oh, yeah, we have we have unique artwork every week. And if you're of an artistic bent uh, and you're any good with the GIMP or Photoshop or even Microsoft Paint, I think you can even do them on your phone. A lot of, a lot yeah, of this stuff, some, can't Some you? people do do them on the phone, yeah. yeah. People can use um, these AI, various AI things to come up with ideas. Mm-hmm. Send us some artwork via the Element server or via the Armist Inquisition at gmail.com and we'll use it. For the podcast. Um, no submissions this week, so I knocked this one up. Which There you go. There's Michael Feely. Kapow. That's uh, Leo. To his left, Da Vinci. Is, that, is he a blue gnome? I was just playing around. It's more for copyright reasons. It's like I need to twist and play with the image. Meld. You know, I don't want to just rip people's work and call it my own. No. You so, have to make it blue. Well, I don't know. I was just messing about. So, yeah, artwork. We like artwork submissions. Yeah, so if you do that, and you'll get a producer credit. This is fairly unique. There's not a lot of shows that have producers like us. Well, this is the whole concept, the value-for-value concept, is that, (coughs) excuse me, everything's out there for free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Video, audio, whatnot. There's no um, sponsorship deals, no paywalls, uh, Patreon exclusives kind of thing. Everything's up front for free. And all we ask is that if you're in the position to, you can return some value to us. If you get something out of it, return some value, whether that's with your time, 
creating artwork or um, giving us guest suggestions or, you know, whatever. Or, uh, you know, tossing us a, a coin. Already? Toss a coin to your witcher. It felt natural. It felt natural. Right, okay. Just go in there. Yeah, yeah, you can give us a one-off donation or sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. And that helps us uh, pay the various costs, monthly costs associated with doing this and uh, keep the lights on and whatnot. Then it all helps, literally, like £2. If enough, you know, enough people do it, it makes a big difference. It covers costs of uh, Airstream and Restream and Podbean and all the rest of it. Um, What else? Have we done all housekeeping? Well, you've done the last thing. So we've oh, finished with... Oh, I'll tell you what. What? Birthdays. Birthday shout-outs. Fucking hell, birthdays. We've got some, haven't we? We've got two this week. Right. Uh, let me go to my notes here. Um, oh, our Lady Helen. Our Lady Helen, who set up the um, Element server for us, who's often in the chat. It's her birthday this week on the 8th of February. Happy birthday, you giant mistake. And also, on the 6th of February, it's her partner Gary's birthday. Wow. There's a birthday boy among us. So, happy birthday, guys. Happy birthday. Imagine being having a birthday within two days of your partner. Yeah. That's crazy. It's a bit shit for Gary, that, isn't it? It's like, it's his <laughs> birthday, and he gets like... He has to buy a present for his partner. <laughs> <laughs> When's his special time? Yeah, he, he gets he gets like less than forty eight hours, I presume, to revel in his presence. Although, tell you what, for what for what though, you could combine things, couldn't you? Mm, and not you know? buy any presents. <laughs> <laughs> you could have combined presents, okay, or you know, trips away presents, things like that. You could couldn't you? You know, every mm. cloud. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I think that's all the housekeeping, isn't it? Focus chi. You can send us focus chi yeah, requests. If you feel poorly, send some chi. Yeah. You know you know the score by now. Yeah. Right. I think it's time then, isn't it? To big up the Mandem show. Oh. It's time to big up the Mandems. Yo. Let's uh, thank the producers for episode 315. We have Rona Kesson, Ben Limmer, Matthew Chin, Alia, and Helen. Thank you. They are, yeah, so amazing in their oh, Willie, love and literally the best mate. Because I'm literally a communist. The dwarf, the current, the grape, the stupid little pen, the doctor of thugonomics, the homophobe, the wings, the giant fucking lenses, the solipsistic porn masturbator, the chest feeding, communist, the ninja turtle, yo, the base sigma chad, the corn pop, chunks, the crush your enemies. <laughs> See them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women. The baby penis in her asshole. These clockwork clowns. The dime bar. Oh. Happy birthday, Hugh James. <laughs> the bee oh, gun on the bus. The blind man. The massive girl. Big chungus. The cripple and the mother of... From hell. 
This is such a crock of feces. It's shit day. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. I got hairy legs. Okay, thanks for your support for another week. Mm. Fantastic. Marvellous. I'm a bit, uh, I'm not used, I don't use this tablet enough. So no. I'm a bit, I'm a bit loaded. I know. This is the chopper! Yeah, I should have played that when we're talking about Carl Weathers, really, shouldn't I? Mm. Oh, what a film. Fucking vegan. Yeah. They've they've tried so many times to reboot that, haven't they? Did you see um, the latest one with the Native American time period? Yeah, it was, was good. Um, it was a good film. Prey. Yes. I thought it was all right. Other than the ending, I thought it was a bit naff. I can't really uh, remember. We got made head of the, the tribe or something. Oh, no, I mean the the end of the Predator more than anything. I thought the, the, like, the killing of the Predator was a bit lame. Right. It was no, you know... Come on! <laughs> kill me! Come on! Do it! You know, it was a bit... Yeah. A bit, bit meh. He figured it out. He evolved, didn't he? He evolved. The Predator evolved. He evolved, yeah. It was Xenomorph. In uh, Arnold. Arnold's one. Oh. He figured it out, didn't he? Oh, spiky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't, did he? No. It was a it was a false trap. It was. It was a red herring. You know. You, you don't know. get that high up in the military. <laughs> you don't go on CIA ups. <laughs> ripped. <laughs> into the jungle. <laughs> Oiled up. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Ew. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a film. I could talk about Predator literally for a hundred podcasts. For another 15 minutes. <laughs> but I best not. We best... Uh... We should move on, really. Uh, I do have notes, apparently. Oh, fucking end of show eyeshadows, man. Not even done that. No, that's what we normally do after the housekeeping. I've got uh, five this week. Okay. Yeah. Um, I quite like this one. I think this is a good one. We're just doing this for your own good. We're him? just doing this for your own good. Is that Peterson again? It's Jordan Peterson, yeah. Oh, he makes a convincing woman. He could We're be just the... doing this for your own good. It could be the dame in the panto, couldn't he? Yeah, it was his impression of a, like a DEI harpy, a screaming harpy. DEI, what does that stand for? Diversity, equity and inclusion. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I thought it was good. I thought it would make a fitting end of, end of podcast. I think, yeah, I think that was a nice one. Okay, uh, what about this one? Oh, uh, you're gay. I mean, we don't have to tell people that, do we? <laughs> no. I just thought it was funny. It's Charlie. Yeah. Charlie Robinson. Uh, oh, this is a good one. This one was from Emma, I think. Great. Smashing. Super. <laughs> is that from Bullseye? It's Jim Bowen. Yeah. It's from a Skull TV advert. Skull. Great. Smashing. Super. <laughs> is Skull still going? I can remember having some skull ones. Yeah, it was cheap as shit, weren't it? Yeah, was cheap. it only like low? Was it like three percent or something? Was that the idea? Yeah, it might have even been like two point nine percent at one yeah. point. I noticed um, like Stellar and stuff is lower than it used to be. I think can you not get. I think there's a thing, isn't there, where they're trying to reduce the alcohol content of stuff. So you Fucking can, small sports. You, can, you, can, you can sell it cheaper, can't you? That's. I think it's like the sugar tax. I think there might be an alcohol tax. <laughs> Why not? I mean, they tax everything else. Why not tax alcohol? Well, have you not noticed in the in 
the uh, if you go for a McDonald's. Oh yeah, or a oh, Burger King, high cuisine. Yeah, the, and McDeers. Yeah, yeah. It's all sugar free now. The 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 soft drinks. Oh, so it's like Coke Zero. I think so. Yeah. What about the milkshakes? It's just like Fat One Hundred. Do they still bring all the boys to the yard? Uh, no, just Bill Murray. Now that is a niche. Figure that one out, chat. I don't know it. That's her boyfriend. Bill Murray? Yeah. Kel- or it was. Kesha? Khalees. Khalees. Yeah. Was going out with Bill Murray? Yeah. Hell's bells. Yes. Didn't see that one coming. No, I know. Wow. Um... End of show ourselves. Right, super smashing great. Great, smashing, super. <laughs> That's fitting. Uh, what about this one? Alternate reality. Based on that, I'm starting to think that there might be a different version of reality. It's a bit long. I mean, yeah, but again, it fits, doesn't it? Yeah. What's winning, Peterson? We're Peterson. just doing this for your own good. Yes. Okay, uh, well, okay, what about this one? This is what hard feels like, and that's okay. Mm. Chris, this is what hard feels like, and that's okay. Oh, you're gay. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a bit, it's a bit fruity, that isn't it? It's a bit fruity. Well, I think it's Jim Bowen or Jordan Peterson. Who's in the chat? Next comment, uh, J- Bowen Peterson. Next comment wins. There's two of us, you see, unless we agree on something. I thought it was Jordan Peterson, personally. You thought that was the best? Well, I yeah. think Bowen, so... Really? We'll let the next chat... Oh. Let's message in the chat wins it. And that'll be the uh, clip we play at the end of the show. Yeah. Right. Bowen, Bowen, Bowen. Right. The public have spoken. Great, smashing, super. <laughs> you see that video of frigging uh, Bojo the Clown? Uh, floating around social media this week. No? No, here it is. So, Lance Corporal Johnson reporting for duty and responding to the appeal from General Sanders for a citizen army and encouraging young people across the country to think of the attractions, advantages of some kind of military training or service. Because at the moment they think it's either uncool or unethical or perhaps they're not following... General Sanders, they're following Colonel Sanders. To find out what we need to do about it, read my column in the Daily Mail. Wow. Well, why did he not do any military service then? You it's, first. It's rules for thee, not for me. Exactly, yeah. Same old shit. As soon as I heard it, my initial thought went straight to... What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Do you think that's what his Colonel Sanders reference was? Is that people are chicken of going into the uh, National Service? Maybe, yes. That's the, that's the sort of vibe I took from it. Either that or um, people, I just thought... People, it's too fat. Fat, yeah. <laughs> fat and lazy, yeah. Maybe, yeah. To go into the army. Oh, yeah, well, he's not. <laughs> well, he would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about all those times he was uh, captured on Hampstead Heath, running in his swimming trunks. Oh, yeah. He ace. He would ace a bleep test. 
to get into the army. The fifty pound bojo rook. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's all this this dog shit that's been going on about um, conscription. It's been all over the papers. The media have been getting all super throffy about it. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just publicity, man. It's all of nonsense. It happens, I think we spoke about this last time, I think yeah. it happens every 10 years or so, doesn't it? Yeah, it's lobbying. It's mm. generals lobbying for more money. What, of course it is. What does it always come down to? We need more money. Mm. You know, so uh, take no notice. Just laugh. Laugh at them. Laugh at the clowns. Mm. Yeah, well, sticking with politics, I've got um, a new Bidenism. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefits. Oh, God. <laughs> Can you translate that? Don't mess with the women. We'll teach the last Donald line. Trump a, a valuable lesson. <sighs> Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefits. Don't mess with the women of America unless you want to get the benefits. Mm. That doesn't make any sense anyway. No. Even when you say it without the the your teeth falling out. <laughs> See, I wondered if he was saying middle America as well. Maybe he was getting confused between women of America and middle America. But the thing is, middle America has a different connotation over there than here. So middle America to me in the States would mean the flyover states, as they're derog- der- derogatorily called. Ohio. Whereas Middle England is the middle classes. It's a class yeah. connotation. So I don't think he knows it, what he means. No. That's the thing. So it'd be sad to see him go, I can't believe, like, how long are they going to leave it before they boot him and get someone else to run? It's like they're, they're going to let him run again. They are going to let him run, I think. There's <laughs> nobody else coming, is there? Well, this is the conspiracy theory, you see. Wow. They wanna, they'll let him run. Mm-hmm. They know he's going to lose to Trump. And Trump's going to get all the shit that's coming next year. What's coming next year? I don't know. Financial instability, uh, migrant crisis, war with Iran. Yes. Pick your poison. A shit show, essentially. And they'll just blame it on him. Then four years later, they'll they'll be scot-free with whoever wants to pick up the gauntlet. Mm. You know, Gavin Newsom. He's finished his dinner at the French oh, Laundry. Oh God! When everyone else was locked down, that con- that's a politician. Yeah, yeah. It's important know. though, running a state, isn't it? So it's important. Yeah, running a state. So you know, he he gets to do those things. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like Emma Thompson flying halfway around the world to lecture us about climate change. Yeah, her voice has more weight than yours. It, yeah, or mine. This yeah. is her influence. Mm-hmm. And she can afford to pay a carbon offset. It's all right. I planted a hundred. I got some peasants to plant a hundred <laughs> trees for me. I pay, I, and what? I uh, bought a uh, hundred hectares of arable land that I've uh, desertified with, uh, you know, fast growing pine trees, basically. Yeah. And then I bought another several hundred acres of. of virgin forest land cut it all down and filled it with a solar farm because that's good for the environment (coughs) yeah yeah you know you just got to listen to the lead they know what they're doing Mm. yeah and we don't do we ever (laughs) no well okay should we move on do you want to see uh, this based grandma I mean this made me chuckle always 
I don't know what's going on in this clip. There's some sort of road traffic incursion. And there's a gran in the car. She comes out with some shit and then the cackle is like... I can't believe that. Let me get her number plate, sir. What a fucking... Let me get her number plate, sir. What's going on? She's missed a trick out of... She should have been working for uh, the Gestapo or something, shouldn't she? Yeah. I she mean, your nose a... out, love. Stop filming my car. There's a lot of this stuff going on, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, Absolutely shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. Yeah. Is that somewhere in the Cotswolds, do you think? Oh, I'd hope so. Yeah. yeah. And they, they ran into grot bags and he, she's having none of it. If there was a man there in, in, in his middle class uniform of a... <laughs> a, a blue shirt and a gilet a north face gilet yeah <laughs> a gilet and some jeans and loafers yeah, yeah. like a clarkson it, it, it? it is yeah it's, you know wafting around in the cotswold somewhere yeah and that woman like tried to run him over or something she was based yeah mm. it bumped into him a based based sigma chad Exactly, yeah. Sigma, what would it be? What's the... It's Chad and... Something else, isn't it? Based Sigma... I don't know. Chad. (laughs) No? What is it? For for women, it's Chads and something else. Tell us in the chat. What's the feminine Mm. version of a Chad? Yeah. Chica? Chadette. Based Sigma... Chadette. Based Sigma... So you do the... Chad. Et. Oh. Based Sigma Chad. Et. Yeah. What the fraud? Oops, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it made me chuckle that. Ben's not here this week again. No. You noticed? Have you noticed? He's not here. Not really, but... (laughs) What's happened this week? It's been slightly less... (laughs) Mouth noises. Mouth breathing. Yeah. His car's blown up or something. Yeah, he's had to... Uh, he's gone into limp mode off the uh, the motorway on his way here. He's had to have a pit stop at his parents' house. All right, I thought limp mode was something else. Well, maybe that's gone on as well. His clutch is broken. <laughs> well, I mean, is that slang as well? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I would have... <coughs> Having driven around Gloucestershire, wherever we were with him. Oh, yeah, terrifying, isn't he? Yeah, he's a bad driver, and he rides the clutch, so he's probably just burnt it out, you know. Yeah, scary, isn't he? Yeah. Just don't, uh, you put your life in your hands getting a car with Ben. Exactly, yeah. And he nearly fell asleep on the motorway three times <laughs> on the way home. That's <laughs> a stop. To be fair, I think that was just general fatigue. Yeah, it was. It was a late night, weren't it? It was a late night. There was lots of beer. There was a pie... Pie was definitely involved. There was heavy pie in the bowels. And we stopped in a service station and I was quite scared about getting in the car again because of how tired he was. Yeah, I, I almost got a Burger King, but I worked out it was going to cost 26 quid. No, it wasn't. Yeah, for a, like a Burger me- King meal or whatever okay, a, bullshit. A, a Burger meal with three cheese 
double cheeseburger chasers. No, no, it's like a standard meal was a ridiculous price. I'm not paying an arm and a leg for fake shit meat yeah. food. Mm. I mean, you feel terrible after you've eaten it. Mm. McDonald's, Burger King. I mean, it's not real food, is it? It just makes you feel like shit afterwards. There's something about it, isn't there, that's not, that's it's not like, right. Is it MSG? Are they allowed to use that over here or not? I don't know, but we have some MSG in our cupboard. Why? Sometimes it got a little dash of it goes in stuff. Why the fuck would you put that in your food? Oh, it's got a bad write-up. Yeah. If you if you have loads of it, <laughs> it's, All right. it's just like having a little bit is fine. It's like yeah, gotta pick your little, poison. Just a you? little bit of mercury, it's fine. It's fine. No, no biological free free lunch. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, you'd be better having none of it. What's it do to the food? It it elevates the taste. <laughs> it takes a it takes a seven. Uh, I don't know. What, I can't remember what she puts it in. To be honest with you, um, she, again, she goes through fads. So um, it, she went for a fad of just putting a sprinkle in occasional things. I don't think she. I don't. I've not Trifle. seen her use it. Yeah, for a while. Trifle crumpets. It's, it's like a big white powder bag. Fuck that shit. I'll yeah. be throwing that away. You don't need it, surely. Yeah, it makes things, it makes part of life. Ugh. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, well, Ben was spotted in the wild last week. It's not the gimp, is it? No, it's not the Somerset gimp. No, it's, it was uh, Croydon. He got spotted in Croydon. Check it out. Look at the back of the... So that's where he was, mincing around Croydon. I mean, that was a convincing Ben, wasn't it? It's probably Ben 20 years ago. When he was student poor. Yeah, and pre-motorcycle crash and could bend his knees. Yeah. yeah. Things yeah. change, don't they? You know, when you have that kind of impact on a collarbone. Well, the collarbone's connected to the hip bone. I don't back, think so. The backbone, the chest bone. Is it not just a floaty bone? It's not connected to anything. I don't know. What's it connected to? Collarbone's connected to your. Uh, spine bone. <laughs> spine bone. <laughs> I don't know. Your neck well, bone. Look like anatomist, anatomist. I know. No, you don't. You look like a Viking a little bit. I'll take that. I know that's what you're looking for, so I'll just let you know. A bit of uh, what do they call it? Um, I was say, not confidence boosting. Um, Fluffing. No, we were. God, my brain is like working on, on like 20 watts tonight. I can't think of words. It's mm. been like this all day. It's like I just don't get time to think think anymore. But remember what Maverick said. What did he say? If you think. You're dead. You're dead. Does he say it in the new Top Gun movie? <laughs> I think he says, if you think, you're deader. <laughs> <laughs> I've still not seen it, Top Gun Maverick. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's a fine. It's like it's like Top Gun. Yeah, it's a scene by scene re- reproduction, essentially. Yeah, 
I like the fact that they didn't use CG, that they actually filmed them in the planes. They actually went in the planes and filmed them. Yeah, I think there was elements of that. I think there is some. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, the meat of it was they actually used planes. That's I think that's part of the plot was they had to use old planes because of some... Mm, there's some sort of plot device that means Maverick and his crew have to use old planes from the 80s. And the reason is, is that that's what they could afford to get. Yeah. And they... Um... Oh, should I spoil it for you? They yeah. go somewhere. I don't know. It's like a Soviet... An they old... don't name the country. Yeah, but Soviet Stan. Is it not North Korea? Maybe, I don't know. And they find the old... Is it called a Tomcat? The one from yeah, the... 14. Yeah. yeah. And he's there and he gets to fly it again. Right. His old Tomcat, just a random one. I had ran- Rando. Yeah. Rando well, Carlson. Any point in a storm. Exactly. Um, apparently they're making another one, obviously, because it was so wildly successful. It made like a billion dollars. Yeah. I don't think the next one would be successful. His Mission Impossible film didn't do that well. Well, No. For some reason. Fatigue, maybe. Barbenheimer. That got all the buzz, didn't it? It yeah. came out after them too, I think. Well, I think there was one film that did particularly well, wasn't it? Was it the sixth one or something? That did particularly well. I don't watch him. I can't give a shit. No, it's... Action films are like black to me. It's a bit bloated. If it's not Big Trouble in Little China, I'm not interested. Predator, Cobra, Total Recall. What would you call Total Recall? Since you want to talk about it. Sci-fi. Sci-fi, isn't it? Is it a sci-fi action movie? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. It's definitely more sci-fi than an action film. Shakespeare in Love. Definitely more sci-fi than that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what else is it? It's fucking... What do it goes th- into the nature of consciousness and reality and all the rest of it. Yeah. Which which part is the dream? Who knows? That's the whole thing. Well, yeah, it? it's left open-ended. Does yeah. he really save the day mm. on Mar- terraforming Mars, or is that part of the recall? Is that recall? Part of the, the programme. Mm. It, it's an open-ended question. Open your mind. Open your mind. Quake. Sharon Stone's like fucking A game in that as well. Do you like her in that one? She's fantastic. Fantastic woman. Did you watch Gladiators this week or not? No. God, you loser. When is it? Isn't it on on a Sunday night? Or Saturday. Is it a Saturday night? Obviously. Tea oh. time. Okay. Gosh, when else would they put it on? Um, no, but somebody was rushing home from my son's party today because they hadn't watched it. Oh, my word. I wanted to get it in before. It's been a massive success. It's been the biggest... I know. Um, I said it said over 6 million people have been watching it. A massive success used to be 20 million. Yeah, relatively. Exactly. It's the success of the year, the TV success of the year. Yeah. I bet it's cheap to make as well. Yeah, of course it you is. Know. There's no expensive writing. Mind you, them giant cotton books probably cost a few quid, don't they? Imagine how many you have to strip together. For what? The cotton buds. To make a giant one. <laughs> God. <laughs> a million. Exactly. That's where all the time goes. That's where all the budget went. Exactly. Cotton buds. They should do it. They should do it instead with giant cotton buds. They should use um, giant 1980s cocktail umbrellas. 
I think so, and fire them. <laughs> and then other. when you win, you get to unroll the Chinese scroll. And decipher it. <laughs> and then you get locked in a in an animal hospital, accused of being a Chinese spy. Right, yeah, for eight months. Yeah, that is the new... That's the Mighty Boosh version of Gladiators. Oh, right. I thought you were going to say the, that's the new Eliminator. Yeah. <laughs> the Eliminator. That was, is that the course at the end where you've got to run up the treadmill? Yeah, you got to run away from the Chinese Secret Service. <laughs> and then they, they, they're on like a 10-second delay. That's what you're working towards, isn't it? Like the delay of your Gladiator chasing you. No, you don't get chased on the Eliminator. Do you know? It's contender v. contender. Is that what it is? Yeah. Or do you, is it so one of them gets to go first? Yeah, if, whoever gets the most points during That's the first it. five of the six events. Do they convert to seconds? Half seconds. Oh, wow. Yeah. So right. someone got, I think, like a seven-second head start this time. And just about one. Just? Yeah, but that, God, it looks hard. It's not as hard as it used to be because they got rid of the hand bikes. Oh, It's God. just standard monkey bars now. Wow. I could do that. I could do the Eliminator, definitely. <laughs> definitely do it. In a day? <laughs> definitely in a day, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to stop for a fag in a brew halfway around. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Fucking hell, man. <laughs> oh. God, I can't wait to get to that zip line. I know, yeah, that's the easy bit, isn't it? Do you think you would swing your legs if you could get some An extra purchase? What, half a second. Yeah, swing your legs. I think by that point, the eliminator, you're just hoping you don't fall off and die. Yeah, exactly. Your arms don't give out. Yeah. Um, you've got to go over and under beams. That's a piece of piss at the beginning. Yeah, that's just a loosener. Then a rope climb. Oh, I don't think I could climb Yeah, you can jump. You have to jump. To get on the rope? I don't think you no. could do the jump. You have to do the jump, and then you've less climbing. And then you just hitch your legs up onto the platform, pull yourself up, and you're right. Then monkey bars. Right. They're standard. Then a little swing thing you've got to do. Anyone can do a swing. <laughs> then it's cargo net. Cargo nets. Cargo nets. We've done, you must have done an outdoor adventure at a Haven holiday camp. I think the, the issue is with the cargo net is if you mess up your feet placement. So, you, and then you stumble and it's, oh, now you've got to get your foot in. So you've got to nail each square. you got to nail the square yeah. and get up. Yeah, beast mode it. Then it's uh, zip line, piece of piss, uh, balance beam. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, so you've got to be able to balance for that. Yeah, and then travel later. That's the thing where you're running. Up a treadmill that's going backwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tough. I could do that a bit. Yeah, I could definitely do it in a weekend. We'd be all right, wouldn't we? I think so. Maybe we should sign up for next year. What would your gladiator name be? Oh, Viking. No, I knew you were going to say Viking. That's because you've planted it in my head already. And exactly, yeah. Oh, Think my. beyond your... Open your mind. Quaid? Yeah. <laughs> Quato. That's a shit gladiator name, Quaid. Quato. I don't know. What would it be? I don't know. Smoking Aces. Right, okay. Something like that. Okay. Um, Fag and a brew, note to do. <coughs> what about... <coughs> Excuse me. What about the Butter Pirate? That's a good one. Mm. So I love butter pies. Do you like a butter pie? God damn right, yeah. That is Most a people listening thing. have no idea what a butter pie is. It's the world's plainest pie. <laughs> <laughs> Depends where you get them from. You can have really good ones, really shit watery ones. Watery butter pie? Yeah, well, you don't put enough butter in it. It's just a potato pie, isn't it? 
And it's watery. A butter pie is just you know. potatoes in a pie. <laughs> you know, it's not like you get from Galligan's at Lane Ends in 1989. No. They were the shit. Were they? Yeah. Because my gran used to live around the corner, so she used to go, We're on a butter pie. Have we got... <laughs> she went a pie, route. She was on a butter pie. <laughs> or... Do a butter pie there, son. Maybe <laughs> we'll go for a butter pie. But was she Northern Irish? Belfast. Was she? I remember her being like that. I just remember driving to the tennis in first gear. Tennis? Yeah, we went. She took us once to in the indoor tennis courts. I remember because she drove there in first and second gear. Yeah, well. Like that all the way. Yeah, based. Mm, She didn't give a fuck, did she? Zero. Zero fucks. Exactly. Uh, should we move on? Yeah, now we've locked down your gladiator name. That's fine. Okay. The Butter Pirate. Um, this might be the greatest answer ever on The Weakest Link. In sport, the US-born tennis player who in the 1990s won all four Grand Slams and an Olympic gold medal is Andre who? The Giant. I just said who. <laughs> wow. I was daydreaming then. What was the question? In sport, the US-born tennis player who in the 1990s won all four Grand Slams and an Olympic gold medal is Andre who? The Giant. I just... I just... Is that like a celebrity one or is that like a real person? That's a real person. Oh, that's why. She's a pro. One of the plebs, Ibanez. Exactly, yeah. So, you know. What did she do during, like... uh, Summer holidays and summer term. Ann Robinson. No, that that woman there in the in the early nineties. Was she not watching Andre Agassi trying to hide his bald spot with a cap and a and a mullet? I remember him with the mullet. He yeah. ended up shaving it off, didn't he? Yeah. Who was he married to? Wasn't he married to a supermodel? No, Steffi Graf. All oh, right. Do you remember Steffi Graf was like the queen of Wimbledon? Tennis. Yeah, she was for a stretch, weren't she? After Navarrete over. I'm pretty sure that she won like 19 Grand Slams oh, yeah. or something ridiculous. Yeah. I'm sure she's been overtook now by one of the Williams. I think it's one just... of the Williams ones, Serena, has nearly taken... She needs one more, I think. Really? To get past Navarrete over in Grand Slams. Good grief. I thought she'd have well blown past that. No, she because uh, it's doubles as well, isn't it? Takes into account, I think I might oh, be making mixed this doubles up. with uh, you know Stefan Edberg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, was he Swedish? It's probably one of those places. Uh, Becca, then she probably played mixed doubles with Becca. Who? Steffi Graf. Oh right, okay. He's a he's a funny one, isn't he? He's Boris based Becker. as well, isn't he? What's didn't he? Has he gone to jail? For tax avoidance. Yeah. Has he gone to jail? Yeah, he did, didn't he? For it. Yeah, I thought, I thought you he couldn't. Did. Yeah, so it's not debtors. We don't have debtors' prisons anymore, but. If you don't pay your tax. Was it a UK prison? Or was it a German prison that he went to? I couldn't tell you. I, I just knew he was in trouble. It was millions, wasn't it? He's, he's gone bankrupt about three times, <laughs> I think. And didn't he have that thing where, did he shag a maid in a changing room or something? And get in pregger, a cupboard, pregger. yeah. And he's got, yeah. He's got a thing for a certain type of woman, yes. What kind? And not a fussy one? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Um, but he's been, you know, he's one of these people, isn't he? I think he's been married or he's got, like, you know, different children by different women all over the world and stuff. But he's, like, claims poverty. 
So he doesn't have any of He said he had to tell all of his trophies and stuff. Oh, man. I wish I'd known. <laughs> Could have got one, couldn't you? Could have got, got one for an ear. Yeah, like the World Cup. Yeah. Pele got. I got I've got Pele's World Cup here, look. Totally, yeah. It's not Pele's, obviously, because it's not the Jules Rimet trophy. But did Pele not one. win one of these? Oh, I don't know when it changed. Have a look. It's a Brazil, what would it be? Brazil 76 or something on bottom. It tells you it winners on bottom. 82, this one starts. 82. Says. Oh, Pele was long gone by then. Long retired. Is that it then? That's what it came in then, 82. So this, is it? This trophy came in in 82? Yeah. So in 78, it was still the Jules... Jules, Jules Rimet. I thought they gave it to Brazil when they won it four times. No? If it starts in 82, I would suggest that that's when it started. Mm. Yeah. Fact check. Fact check. False. Fact check that in the... Oh, uh, Italy. Italy in 82. Yeah. Mancini. Yes. Mancini's team, I think. Uh, I went to a pizza shop last night. They had a picture of uh, Cannavaro lifting the cup in 2006. I know. Yeah, that was a weird final. That's the one where uh, Zidane got sent off in it. He headbutted. <laughs> what did Matarazzi say to him? Something about his mum, weren't it? You were a son of a whore or something like that. I think it was something a lot more personal than that. He had intel. This um, is what you say in the final to Zidane. Right. Something about and that. It flips the switch in him. Well, it did, didn't he? He headbutted him, got sent off. Well, he's got he's from he's got like an Algerian background, doesn't he? I think Zidane. Um, so maybe something along those kinds of lines would have. Tipped him over the edge. I think he was retired, wasn't he? And then he came back for the finals. Really? Mm. Zidane? Well, retired from international football. He was like 35, 36. Wow. I think. I might be wrong. Quite often now. I used to know loads about football. No, I couldn't give a shit. Literally, couldn't give a toss. No. Funny how your things change, your tastes change, and what you do, what you spend your time on. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, shall we... Uh, do you want to do some bloopers? Got some good uh, bloopers from the BBC. You want to laugh? Well, we'll see. See if you can make me laugh. Yeah. We saw him fisting his... Uh... Uh, thumping his fist in the air there, Jurgen Klopp, after the game. Luke North is back in BBC Breakfast from 6.25. Good boy. Now, it's estimated that the bill to repair Lincoln's glory hole will be anything between 60,000... <laughs> it did well to hold that together at the end, didn't he? He didn't. Was he a... Uh, do you think he was a visitor to the glory hole? Who, Lincoln or that guy? Lincoln. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't know. No. Yeah. Uh, who broke his glory hall? Why does it have to be repaired? Who That's knows? I want to know. Who knows? Someone that like... Guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm spent. What are we done now? I have nothing to... Uh, I didn't have much, really, tonight. Okay. Well, no. well I say I don't, didn't have much. There's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven video clips there. Mm-hmm. But I just burned through them all very quickly. Well, we've done an hour, haven't we, as usual? Yeah. That's fine. And it's hot in here. Are you hot? How are you wearing a hoodie? Because I sit I sit in the cross draft. I have the draft above me and the draft to the side of me oh, gently blowing man. on me. I'm melting here. Like that all the time. The thing is, it makes me can the beers if I'm too hot. Well, you know, 
Don't blame the atmosphere on your alcoholism. Atmosphere. I've got to go back. I've got an early start tomorrow. I've got to go back to Burnley. <gasps> Last day. Thank God. Yeah. How long's the commute to Burnley? 50 minutes. 50? At worst. 45. 43 to 50 minutes, depending on traffic. Right, okay. But I need to get there early tomorrow what? to make sure I get done in the day. What time do you set off? Uh, between quarter past and half past seven. Oh, no. That's too early to start anything. I know. I know. I wouldn't do it normally, but... Is he uh, an old customer? Yeah. He's old, isn't he? He's not old, but you know, I've, I've worked for him for a long time. Exactly, that's what I mean. So I felt obliged. Mm. And uh, Do you get to spend time with uh, Clivey Baby? Is he not even there now? I, um, he finished on Tuesday, I think. Right, okay. So I don't think he'll be back tomorrow. Right. Um, which is sad, but you know. Oh, no, yeah, because I remember, I remember waving him off last week. Uh, I'll see you when I see you. Yeah. See you when I see you, Sparkles. Mm. So, yeah, he's not doing much now. Just so constantly wanking on about his caravan. Has he got a static one or a, t- a no, tower? No, tower. Right, where does he go? 30 grand. 30 grand caravan. Cash? Do they um, have 30 grand lying around in his house? Say so no. Yeah. He loves it. They go away. Do you go away? Three times, four times a month? Well, that's what you've got to do. Yeah, to get the money's worth. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. I could not be arsed with it. Towing it. Oh, it's all the fucking around. What's the, um, what do you think's the appeal in having a caravan that you can... Just pissing off other motorists, surely. That's the number one. Is it because you get to tow your own space around? You know, like, for me, obviously, when I get home, it's my space. I can can finally shed all of my anxieties and worries and be me. He's going away in the summer. He's booked two weeks in Cornwall, and his pitch is 500 quid. For two weeks? Yeah. Well, there you go, then. He's making his money there. What? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's not nothing, is it? No, but that's cheaper than if you went two weeks to Cornwall in the summer and paid for a hotel. Yes, but you've had to spend £30,000 on a caravan to do that. So I I think Clive just is a person that values his own space. Yeah. Basically. I just couldn't be doing the hassle with it. I just want to go, take my shit, go. Would you prefer to rent someone's caravan? That's what I do every year. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's just easier. Yeah. And they're bigger. They are bigger, Static caravans are bigger. I think it's your own space, personally. That is my... I'm not going to filth it up. Wherever I lay my hat is my home. He could have bought a house in Burnley for 30 grand. <laughs> Couldn't he? Could have bought two. I think who's in the chat? Cheech. Oh, someone's just put it. Cheech. I think Cheech is from uh, Burnley. Right. In the chat. So, yeah, you could probably buy a house in Burnley for 30 grand. I think some you could. A shitter? Yeah. Mm. I'm sure you can in Preston. There's probably shitters for... Flats. Sub 50 grand. I see flats for sale. Yeah. For like 15 grand. Oh, I hope it don't come to that, man. What, living in a 15 grand flat? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're men, aren't we? That's what happens. One to fucking us. false word, and we're in, a f- we're in a 30 grand house in Burnley. One false word, and you're living <laughs> above a chippy on, on Blackpool <laughs> yeah. Road. Fucking, you see all the time, man. 
Oh uh, yeah, we, we... fifty-year-old blokes living in a in a shared house <laughs> because you know it's all gone tits up. I used to work with somebody who happens all the time. There was he was having marital problems, and he lived in a terraced house with this this man who rented out his rooms in his house. It was like a three bed or a yeah. two bed house, and he uh, and he had there was one bathroom. And he had an allocated time when he could use it in the morning, and a Yale lock on his bedroom door, and that was that was all that guarded his dignity. It happens all the time, man. It's like uh... I don't even know if I could have a poo in that house. I think you'd have to. I know, but I might have to if I'd have to get an office job and start using their toilets for my yeah for my dump in the morning, like you know, get my rhythm <coughs> changed again. Hold it until you get to work, kind of thing. Blast them out. Wreck it. Wreck them. Don't go in there, I've wrecked it. Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Oh shit, yeah. Don't go in there, speckles, I'll just shit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, these are all things that we must contemplate in life. I'll tell you what, it's kind of attractive, though. Just the peace. Living well, on your own. You could pick up, you could pick up. A seventies flat near where I live, in a flat complex, for like eighty grand, ninety grand. Wow, a two bedder. Tempting, you know. Um, even if you get a ground floor one, it has a lawn outside. Yeah, for barbecue. Exactly. Yeah, and pissing the neighbors off. Um, there is a guy who lives around there. He seems to have an Audi R eight though. Right. Um, living around there, so that That's might right. might wake you up. That's all because they're loud, aren't they? Sports oh, car. Fucking a meteor could hit me. I won't wake up. I'm a sound sleeper. Yeah, it's just everyone else who's got problems. Yeah. Right. Uh, Julie's selling her flat. Don't know if you knew. Wonder what that go for. I don't know. I don't know what she paid for it. Chef better be hoping that the people upstairs are sitting down. <laughs> Wow, this is really inside baseball. I know it is, isn't yeah. it? You don't you, I wonder if people know the niche reference of Julie. No. We can we, we can go into the mind palaces and and episode two four eight when we mentioned who she is. I'm sure we've talked about Julie before. Yeah, my Julie. She was uh, on at me. I had to go actually this week because she's on about a heater or something. To her flat? No, the shop. Right. She wants a heater in the shop. Really? I thought you had a radiator. She wants to get rid of the radiator and put an electric heater in. Oh my God. I don't know why. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just <laughs> nod. <laughs> I just nod and smile and say, whatever you want. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, fine. Just cross my palm. Silver will give me Maybe free Maybe she's haircuts. separating it out so she can <coughs> sell, sell above, basically. Yeah, I don't know. Pay you in trade, love. Hey, I've done that before. Yeah? You know. How long were you on free haircuts for? Fucking months. Sorry, months. Months. Did you have a haircut every day? <laughs> <laughs> Just come for me free haircut, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> this is 100, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Right, let's wrap this shit up, man. Yes. It's late. I've got an early start tomorrow. So have I. Yeah. No. If you, you have a late start on Monday, you twats. No, I've got to start at nine tomorrow. 
first day of the new job. Oh, God. New job? New place. See what they're like. See how based they Happy are. Attic. Yeah. See what kind of place they've got. <laughs> right. Yeah. Virtually. You're doing the metaverse. To yeah. Work. Oh, yeah. Awful. Yeah. Don't want to go back. Just, oh, well. Just prefer mincing around my home. Yeah. Watching uh, World War II documentaries. Documentaries about the, the lightning. Oh, right, yeah. The airplane. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to pull your finger out. I know. Well, okay, we're going to leave it. I'm tired. I want to go home. Put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. I mean, next I'd, time. Yeah, I'd love to do it again, but you can't turn the clock back. The time is gone. For us. We can't turn the black cock black. Uh, we can't turn the Ooh. clock back. Wow. Wow. You catch that. No, he didn't either. We can't turn the black cock black. Uh, we can't turn the <laughs> clock back. I know it's after midnight. We can't turn the clock back. Right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. no cocaine was involved in the making of that no video. no illicit substances have been consumed So long. So long until I jerk a nut in your ass. Wow. So long, gay boy. About next week, we'll be there. We'll be there. We'll be there. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good podcast tonight. I think it sometimes may be good. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. <laughs> Are you not entertained? The ultimate fuss policy. You dirty bitches! Building back better. You're growlers! We're looking at you, growlers! Who's got the biggest cock? Close your legs! Stop being snatched! Thank you for watching. I'm a very antisocial bastard. I Come on, man. I never sucked any ding-dongs. You don't give a fuck. I think you're hitting hitting the point, Phil, that, uh... Oh, my God, he's wiped his ass. No. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over.
Hannah, El Etifaki. See you soon. Great, smashing, super. <laughs>